This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, science helps explain these things, but in the end, your ability to have, like you said, you I'll use some of your terms, have some that organization, structure, routine, give you a sense of power, a sense of self, a sense that you have meaning and purpose, you know, in what in life and what you do, um, sure. becomes so very important. And I think that um, you obviously sensed uh, in a very natural way that you didn't want to escape, but you wanted to develop a new routine where your routines have been disrupted. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry. So good to see all of you. Another Friday, another episode. Um, man, I just got back from CrimeCon in Las Vegas, and um, it was exhausting. But I got to meet some really, really cool people. And uh, CrimeCon 2022, you were really a lot of fun, even though I pulled like two all-nighters in a row getting ready, making these really dope flyers, which I should hold up right now. Oh yeah, here they are. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you can check it out. And uh, yeah, I made these really dope flyers with some QR codes and, um, you know, spreading the word about the podcast. This is me, by the way, on the witness stand testifying against my father in his trial for the murder of my mother. For those of you that are just tuning into the podcast, heard about it and were like, oh, we got to check this guy out. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. Um, and this month, it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I was going to try to follow up CrimeCon with doing like a, a a cool thing about my father. Or some I have this sort of episode that I've planned that's really dope, but it's going to have to wait another week because I want to introduce Mental Health Awareness Month with this particular episode of something that I feel really helps you know, keep my powder dry, if you will. <laughs> um, and that is my routine. And for me as a trauma survivor, and as someone who's been through my crazy ass life, as you guys know, um, I 
I appreciate routine, whether that routine is like get, you know, getting enough sleep every night, uh, going to the gym, working out, swimming, surfing, mountain biking, whatever it is that I'm doing. And when I say surfing guys, I use that with air quotes because I can't even stand up on the board. It is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's having like this physical exercise. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, but first, of course, I want to give a shout out to those of you that are contributing on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash call your Landry. Um, I want to thank my Patreon supporters because you guys are just really awesome. I mean, I thank all of you guys for listening, but those of you that are reaching out to try to help support the podcast, that's amazing. Thank you so much. So I'm gonna read your names right now. Heidi Tapio, Kelly Stambaugh, Danielle Tomorrow, Maureen E. Vida, Tina Preston, Anna Bofield, Angie Nave, Michelle Lutz, and our new subscribers of yesterday, Liz Pittman. I want to say thank you all so much for contributing to the Patreon, for supporting this program. Um, your support is, it means the world to me. Um, so thank you very much for that. So it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And on that note, I want to read something that uh, Danielle Tomorrow, who is our Patreon supporter, um, sent over to me, which is a post that was from Tiny Buddha Official on Instagram. She sent this today and I'm like, oh, this is so, this is so apropos to what we're talking about. So it says the best minds and mental health aren't the docs. They're the trauma survivors who have had to figure out how to stay alive for years with virtually no help. Want to learn how to psychologically survive under unfathomable stress? Talk to abuse survivors. That is Dr. Glenn Patrice Doyle that said that. And that is on uh, Tiny Buddha Official on Instagram, which uh, was shared by Danielle tomorrow. So thank you, Danielle, for sending that my way because that is really cool. It's interesting because while I was at CrimeCon, I interacted with, of course, tons of survivors. And, you know, not only true crime fans, but tons of survivors. Uh, Kara Robinson Chamberlain, I got to meet her. She was just on the program last week with Tara Newell. And uh, we discussed you know, uh, how survivors go to crime con and how they can deal with that and sort of tips and tips and tricks and, you know, cheat codes, if you will, just kidding. There's no cheat codes, but, um, there is, you know, a certain way that you should like when you're engaging with somebody's story and they've had this like really traumatic circumstance, you don't want to go, Hey, so tell me about that murder is super awesome. I really love it. No, no, no. You want to just kind of you know, compose yourself. But we discussed that. That was last week's episode. Check it out. Our CrimeCon panel with true crime survivors. Um, on that note, so one of the things that we did discuss in that panel is how things like routine really help us as trauma survivors get through our daily life, right? And again, for me, it's like exercise, a lot of it's like exercise based or if I feel I don't have enough space or I don't take time out for myself to do something musical or creative or like I said, working out like or taking care of myself in general, even if it's something as simple as walking my little chihuahua blondie around the block, having those moments in my day when I'm super stressed, everything feels like, ah, it's caving in and I'm able to just sort of reflect and go, okay, cool. I'm going to get into this routine, but I... I really like my routine and this last month I've been really thrown off. I've been traveling, I've been shooting and I haven't really had that routine that I really have come to enjoy and that affects me sometimes. Speaking of routine, today's guest is Dr. Angel Iskovich. He is the author of The Art of Routine and he is here to discuss with me 
how trauma, um, how routine can really help you lead through trauma and your trauma recovery. And being that this is Mental Health Awareness Month, I figure what better way to talk about that than something I'm really passionate about, which is my routine. So that said, I am pleased to welcome to the program, Dr. Angel Iskovich. Do you do director of photography for documentaries or movies, or I thought I saw some, uh, yeah, so I'm a director of photography. Uh, so I made a film about my life called A Murder in Mansfield. And it's directed by two-time Oscar winner Barbara Koppel. And, um, uh, but I also work as a DP, shooting commercials, music videos, things of that nature. It kind of slowed, it really obviously slowed down during the pandemic. And so I got into doing the podcast, which was the continuation of the film. The film was released end of 2018. It came out and, um, you know, did really well and then, um, picked up a real big thing on big audience online during the pandemic. And so I started the podcast last year and I just got really serious about it this year. And that's how I met Steven. I was in the New York Post. I was in the Independent. And so I ended up meeting Steven. And, um, you know, but I still do the DP thing. I just did a commercial two days ago. I, I just got back from shooting a doc. My sort of weeks have been very compressed this month because it was, that's why I said I was off my routine because I was out of, I was filming in Washington state and then there was a whole kerfuffle. There was gear that was stolen. I had cameras go down. Just anything that could have gone wrong went. Yeah, those are my old stomping grounds up in the Northwest there. Yeah, Washington. Yeah, so once we got to Seattle, that was that was where the disasters really started. A drone, well, a drone crashed first and then cameras and things. It was a nightmare, but it, I, I got through it and then I had to literally come back and then I interviewed um, Chris Hansen and a bunch of other people and I had to do all of that with nothing no gear trying to figure it out and then I had to get all the gear fixed before I had to leave in three days when I got back I had to go to Northern California and shoot for another documentary and just got back from doing that and then I'm leaving tomorrow to go to CrimeCon for three days and after that I'm looking forward to just coming back getting back into my routine because I'm a very big person into like, I need to exercise every day. I need to have this. And I think that's something, you know, when Steven told me about you and he goes, have you ever heard of this guy, you know, wrote Art of Routine? I said, well, anybody that's written a book like that, I've got to talk to you because I feel as a trauma survivor, having gone through all I went through, routine is a massive part of, of and, and, and I'm not alone in thinking this, by the way, as I'm sure you could realize, but I feel that routine is so important to working through your trauma. And when I was going through, so has Stephen told you a little bit about me or no? Yeah, no, no. I, I had your history that when, you know, when you were young, your, uh, your father, well-educated, ended up uh, murdering your mother and yep. uh, were kind of left in the end with a father in jail, no mother growing up somewhere in Ohio uh, with either with family or adopted family and being a little bit of the uh, Cinderella left out, you know, and trying <laughs> to figure out how that all worked, you know? So th those are my own words. I'm not sure that's correct, but that I- No, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Pretty good. I understand the kind of the, uh, I don't know if there was a Cinderella at the end, but you know, uh, but, it, but you know, kind of really that, at that age, you know, losing parents of the sort, making for, you know, what happens, you know, and obviously, you know, my background is an emergency physician. Yes. Um, surely I get to see, you know, people at 
their worst and some of the worst people as well, you know, in the world that happens, you know, what happens in the emergency environment, which I think that along with my background in, uh, in psychiatry early on, then years of emergency medicine, then into business and from the boardroom to the, from the ER room to the boardroom, you know, I kind of got a, a little broad perspective, but I think, uh, it wasn't just this a reflection of my life, but I was kind of, I wrote this book as kind of an insight into human nature. Sure. Uh, not so much to be prescriptive, you know, but being a doc, they want you to give a prescription. I said, hey, this is really interesting, but what's the one, two, three things I need to do, you know? Yeah. And like the art of, like the art of routine, like the art of medicine, things aren't always black and white, you know? So it's kind of understanding some of this, but uh, to your, to your point, just like now, you know, you, you know, COVID was an incredible disruption and you developed, you know, what I call a little bit of a new time bubble, a new routine, a new way of being able to do what you did, which is develop podcasts in the sort. And then, yeah, uh, and so you develop kind of a new life. And that's what people did. I mean, I think for a lot of people, there was a lot of what I call collateral damage, not just physical or otherwise, but there were also some other collateral values. People learned quite a bit in sheltering in place, not being able to do what they usually do and consequently kind of recreate what the body really wants, which is equilibrium and uh, homeostasis and stability. And when what, what's different about my, not just the book, but more my, my thinking of this is because it started by looking at people that live to 100 years old. That was the centenarians and centenarians is where sure. it started. But what's different about this is that I kind of try to put together really how we're wired a little bit and the physiology of it and things like circadian rhythms, you know, uh, and as you were mentioning, even the disruption now is suddenly traveling again when you weren't traveling again, and how to travel well and how it disrupts one's routine and how do you maintain sure. routine and, and the sort. So, you know, you're um, obviously in your very early and developmental age developed, you know, significant disruption of what I call a little time bubble. That was an analogy, you know, where you're, life is is uh you know a bit of a bubble that's flexible that you do things with regularity and, and then things burst as you go through life and you have to recreate these things again you know and try to find that and that's how our bodies kind of work whether you look at different physiological functions like circadian rhythms which i talk quite a bit about because it's a little more understandable sure to uh to gastrocolic reflexes what happens your body's very has a lot of routines happening when you eat something and uh to uh you know postprandial tides what happens after you eat to to you know basically your you know your brain chemistry or you know your heartbeat with regularity so regularity rhythm routine are very uh important parts of the body the way we perceive the world you know just talking a little more macro about things you know the sun rises sure. and sets the sun rises and sets, the seasons come and go. Um, it gives us a sense of certainty. Um, when uncertainty occurs, as it did in your early childhood, and as it does in other people at different degrees in life, this is when things you know, get disrupted, interrupted, and we get out of this equilibrium, this homeostasis, this rhythm, this what, what is the importance of routine? And, and I think part of what I wrote the book about, uh, just so to give you a background, was just that I studied centenarians, which were, we were developing emergency departments for older people, geri geriatric ERs. And uh, I, I got fascinated with people who lived 100 years old. And I'd read the book, sure. you know, Blue, Blue Zones and these parts of the world that people live longer. 
But what I noticed with people that live longer was that they had two things in common. One is that they had a stable environment, both physical and emotional around them. And two, that they did things with great regularity, with great routine. But what they did, what they did varied tremendously. At times we'd say in today's world, it wasn't particularly healthy. What the kind of behavior they did that had regularity. One would, for example, say, hey, at five o'clock every Wednesday and Friday, you know, I always have my scotch, you know, and then I have my dinner. And so everything was very controlled. You know, I used to, I always walk at, I always walk at 3 p.m. or whatever it might be. But other people would say, well, I couldn't live my life. What do you, why do you think you've lived a long life? She said, Dr. Pepper, you know, doc, I have a Dr. Pepper every, every afternoon at three o'clock. And, and so what, what it's got me to thinking is that maybe routine might be as or more important than the what you do in other words that doing things with regularity with rhythm may be more important than what it is you actually do and in today's world we're being disrupted interrupted with a lot of what a lot of different things to try that we can't get into any rhythm routine and kind of so to speak synchronize the way our behavior with the way our body our body works and i started to realize that it wasn't just sent living longevity but it was people who were high performers had a lot of routine that they adhered to sure people and how we care for our young and businesses yeah. which i i've run and uh, worked with you know over the years above and beyond doing medicine could i just ask you something so uh so it's very interesting what you said there's two things that i pick up on here first of all like do you feel that because of these um centrogenarians and you know, you say something like having the scotch every, you know, Wednesday and Friday or or having that afternoon Dr. Pepper is the way that when we live, do you think as a medical professional and as an as, as somebody who studied this, do you think that not only that is because we're creatures of habit, so therefore because we're creatures of habit that falls into our sort of, like you said, circadian rhythm of life. And then the second thing is, is also with that scotch or that dr pepper or let's say that morning run or whatever you know you uh it's like a reward right for it, it, it so it hits the the parts of the brain like in the limbic system and that uh that fire right that that our reward system kicks in is that is that sort of where you're going with this well i mean that's a that's a part of it obviously living to a longer life for example, longevity has more to do with simply routine. There's some genetics involved. There's some luck that's involved, sure. you know, to make it. But basically the kinds of things that we know medically, how our dopamine and serotonin systems work, uh, circadian rhythms, how our cortisol works. Um, there's a reason that at three o'clock, the English have tea and the Spanish take a, a siesta and the French and, and Italians, at least in those developed countries, uh, you know, have have afternoon sex. You know, uh, that's all. Ma you know, managed never a bad thing. By, yeah, never a bad thing necessarily. But why is that 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 occurs? And you know, this is all you know, brain managed, so to speak, and how we move through cortisol. And this starts to give us a little bit of what our bodies are wired like in the sort. In regard to issues like habit, habit technically is more automated behaviors, and they do work by kind of reward systems. They really come out of our studies in mice and humans, of course, and how to how to do rewards and 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 you know positive uh, 
affirmations and the sort, positive rewards, uh, not aversive. And we know how we get stay away from aversive types of things that are painful sure. to us and how we stay away from it. So there is a lot of that. But what, ha- what, what one learns is that routine kind of builds on itself. Routine is a routine, I call it a little bit more of an art, but what you do, again, the time bubble, I just, that's just an analogy is, you know, the stable environment that can, can burst and break from either the inside or the outside. And this time is the routine, but what you do is the art, you know, so that if you decide that what, what you do when you, when you awake is, and they've done studies on what do people do when they awake, you know, do, do they drink water? You know, in today's times, often the first thing people do is look at their cell phones to see, sure. you know, to see who's communicated to them. Um, and others um, will, you know, maybe develop a certain form of exercise or stretching, you know, others will make, you know, you heard of making your bed. The simple fact of being able to do something repetitively impacts your brain and allows you to give you a sense of meaning and purpose to accomplish something. And when that regularity gets disturbed, disrupted, the body doesn't like, doesn't like that. On the other hand, when it does it, it does, it gets a sense of, uh, of, of, uh, of meaning and kind of purpose, even in the worst conditions, even the smallest things that are done with regularity and rhythm help help our bodies feel that sense of equilibrium in the soil. So there's a bit of science involved and a bit of kind of more psychological behavior that's involved, but it's sure. really a nature, or, 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 or it's, 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 it's a human, it, it's insight into our human nature. Um, and you see this, you see this, if you look historically, what do people do? Like take COVID, for example, people uh, take war. People have migrated and moved when there's war, when there's pestilence, you know, when there's disease, they move, they move away from it. Their lives become disrupted. I heard an interesting phase on when you look at, for example, Ukraine or how people have been disrupted with COVID and you ask them, well, what is it that you seek? You know, I said, you know, I just like to have an everyday life again. I just like, so what is that everyday life where you see yeah. in a world that people want a lot of stimulation and really changing what we do, you know, so often. And we're naturally curious. Humans are naturally curious and try to improve their survival to find better lands, better water, better shelter, better sense of a place that gives them that time bubble that equilibrium and yet life is disruptive as you go through it and and so that's a little bit of you know how i think about these things and in the book you know i i talk about a number of these situations like like charlie plum um uh, yeah the vietnam he's a pow right my chapters yeah even in the worst situations you find meaning in doing even the simplest things to survive um sure or others in business, you know, I have a number of other kind of examples, stories that I try to tell. Um, so that, it's it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Charlie Plum, right? Uh, who, you know, obviously is a, was a POW, uh, Vietnam POW, uh, much like John McCain. And um, yeah, those little sort of things, you know, being that my father is incarcerated, right? I often think about, I mean, it's, you know, as a trauma survivor, you know, you partially you start to think about like, well, what if that happened to me? If I, if I was, if I'm destined to have that be like, you know, as the prodigal son, I'm going to be in prison or something, you know, you, you kind of float through these things. But then I think 
then you kind of go further down the rabbit hole, like what would keep me sane if I was locked up in a box? Oh, routine, 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 right? It's, you know, and it's interesting, just as I was talking earlier about the travel with the chaos, with the shooting here, this location, that location, and it's throwing me off my routine. I wasn't able to go swimming in the morning like I do every day, you know, or get my exercising, which is a big part of me with sort of my trauma recovery is exercising and having that. It just makes me feel good, first of all, and it simulates your endorphins and your, uh, and you know, but also, it just, uh, yeah, it just makes, it just is part of that thing that I really crave. And when I start to get out of kilter, right, it, it it's, it, 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 you know, it sort of gets pent up inside you. You don't feel right, yeah. You don't feel right. Yeah, you don't have, you're not, you're not having those endorphins trying to get out of the airplane and deal with uh, all the things you have to deal with that you're used to. And that, again, that of course is, you know, some chemistry behind why we feel good when we exercise and um, which is, you know, absolutely what you're saying is absolutely, uh, it's absolutely the case. And so today's world, we don't exercise regularly because we're not out hunting and we're sure, not out of course. Gather, gathering and building shelter and the sword. So we, we form kind of a routine of artificial physicalness, right? The, the yeah. importance to be physical and, and do those physical things, which are important, which then also, of course, help with sleep and all that kind of stuff. But no, you've, you've, uh, you've hit the mark there. And, you know, one of my, one of the things about like, why do you like, you do that because you feel good and you do it because you wake up, but what meaning and purpose does that give you? You know, why is that meaningful to you? You know, you ask yourself the question, why does swimming every morning, uh, why is that important to you, right? So, yeah. you know, I talked to some people about exercise, how you get in a little bit of a zone, how your yeah. your mind your mind is uh, relaxed, it's a form of a meditative uh, environment. And, and you find that just like sleep, our bodies, especially in today's active worlds, require, require some of this type of downtime, you know, above and beyond the actual exercise of your heart racing in the sword. So a lot of interesting things are going on there, but some people don't understand that, you know, what's meaningful to you is not necessarily meaningful to someone else. You know, I, I note in my book that my mom used to say, everybody has their own rainbow, you know, and I- Everybody has their own rainbow? Right. Right, and it's just a simple, you know, not a simple saying. And she was a survivor from Auschwitz. She was a, a yes, talk that's about her surviving, you know. Yeah, it's a, and it's analogous to your survival in a different way. You were in a different kind of jail, you know. Sure, of uh, so to speak. You know, and as your well, father I was abandoned. Is. I was abandoned by my whole family, so I was thrown into the foster care system, and I was adopted by strangers. I mean, they're not strangers now, obviously, but they were at the time. I mean, you know, knew them through the community, but not, you know what I mean? Um, and, and it's, I mean, obviously the Holocaust, it's, it's very, yes, very analogous, but also, you know, yeah, it's, it's, the betrayal is still there and the trauma is still there and the sort of feeling of helplessness and I think and I think that like those things like when you add the routine to that that makes you feel more in control it stimulates I mean that's just my assessment of it I mean I haven't studied routine but just my own knowing is like when there's those things and I guess maybe they're familiar to us or they become familiar to us through routine so therefore when those things are taken away from us we get into that fight or flight mode is that maybe perhaps the the cause absolutely you know when you look at if you look at 
people that have behavioral health breakdowns, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether, you know, what do we do in hospitals? What do we do really in behavioral health? You know, we, what do we try to start doing with one's life that's been disrupted, either through some disease or even a, a mental illness or some stress that's occurred? We try to put them in a cocoon. We try to get a routine going. When you eat, when you wake, when you have your therapy session, this happens within, let's say, a behavioral health hospital system. Most of what we do upon stress, trauma, or disease, the kinds of prescriptions, the things we do to help others is to and to help ourselves, which some people are unable to really ascertain, is do exactly what you said, exactly what you discovered, you know, uh, yourself or or through others of what made you be able to kind of gather yourself back uh, from that traumatic state. And that's the same thing that happens with people that have, you know, severe depression, schizophrenia. Once we can get medications that stabilize some of your serotonin levels, then one needs again to have that stability, that equilibrium, to have that sense of certainty that what's happening today is a sense of organization, a sense of structure. That's what we do. You know, you you remember the the like the story says, you know, my my kid, he, he's just behaves terribly. In the old days, what they'd say is, well, we're gonna we're gonna send him to military school. We're yeah. gonna send him to uh, the or the armed forces. We'll get him straightened out. We'll get him straightened out. <laughs> and what is it that happens in these what I call you know group related uh, organization structures, routines? Is they have obviously a mission and objective, but everything becomes very organized, very structured, right? Yeah. And one learns how to kind of find you know oneself ability to do those you might one might not like the, the the what you're doing in those necessarily but many people thrive from it and this is another kind of example of where routine both therapeutically okay but also as our human our own nature it's within us you know is what we what we strive for so that's a that's an example i i remember uh you know sometimes i'm not sure how it was for you because it's you were young and needed I'm sure some amount of guidance or develop on your own, I'd be interested, but sometimes you need a mentor. Sometimes when your life's disrupted, you need someone that you could see is organized and structured and has oh, a sure. sense of root. Absolutely. You know? I, I, yeah. You know, you look at, I mean, you just look at like the inner cities, right? So you have athletes that are coming from very places where routine does not exist, right? And I feel that, you know, what you're, you know, discussing here is, 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 you know, something that is very, that exists in our society that, you know, ends up sort of controlling populations, you know, or let's just say, let's just say the prison population, right? Where if prisoners get a little too comfortable or, you know, they're always tossing your cell or they're moving you to a new cell or doing this, they're disrupting that routine before you get settled in. Because I feel like when you get settled into routine, you sort of gain your power, which is why I think it's so interesting and important in trauma recovery is having that routine does give you your sort of power back even though it's the most simple of things, it really has such a dynamic impact on your brain, I, I, on the way we're wired. I believe, look, I'm not a neuroscientist, I haven't studied this, but just speaking from personal experience, it enables you to take that power back. I mean, I remember when I was testifying against my father, I was 12 years old, and I, you know, I had witnessed the murder, I had testified at the grand jury, securing his indictment, and then I would, you know, obviously was in the foster care system, and then testified against my father in court, you know, in front of him, staring him down. It was, you know, two and a half days of trial. And 
The thing is, is that I remember during that time I would play tennis or I would, you know, I had these little small outlets where I would just try to have some sort of sense of normalcy. Like I just wanted to feel like a kid. If you, there's a great line from the film Shawshank Redemption, which is ironically shot in Mansfield, Ohio. And the character Andy Dufresne is played by Tim Robbins does some tax stuff for one of the main guards and gets, asks for, asks, he said, what do you want as payment? He goes, you know, two beers for each of my coworkers because they're tarring the roof of this factory. And they come up to give him a beer and he says, no, I don't want to quit drinking. And everybody kind of looked at him like he was crazy. And, he get, and, the, and the narrator, the main guy, Morgan Freeman says, you know, Nobody knows why he did it, but I think he did it to feel normal, if only for a short while. So there's these things that when you're going through this process of extreme trauma, depression, and I think that was, that was the biggest thing with the pandemic is people couldn't get to the gym, they couldn't get to this, besides all the other things that have occurred, right? And the stresses of uh, being ill or family members being ill, income, yada, yada, but just the, those outlets that make you feel normal. And I think a lot of times in society, you know, people get caught up in the rat race. I know I did. Look, I quit drinking during the pandemic, right? And that was a way when I would drink, you know, I would take time. I would, you know, I would just, I'm just going to check out, you know what I mean? And I would, and that's not healthy, right? And I think that people do things that they, they get themselves so stressed and so worked up that they do, they resort to unhealthy behaviors to let themselves check out because they're denying themselves other routine. And that's why I'm keenly aware of it. It's like, if I get off my exercise program or I get off this or I get stressed, I start to feel a little crazy. And I'm like, okay, I need to focus on me just with those simple things because we do get caught up in like making money, traveling, kids, work, this and that, and we fall off those things and those stressors kind of boil up inside of us until it bubbles over and we do something, you know, hopefully not extreme, but we might, you know? And I think, it, I think it's, a, it's a wonderful example in the EU. I was just talking about this last weekend is, you know, talking about the, you know, they'll take this, you know, one month in the summer off or the siesta, like you said, and those little moments where we think that that's a lack of productivity during those times, but it's really not because it makes you way more productive because it just wires your brain in that way. And again, I'm not a neuroscientist, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, you are, and you've studied these things. So, so what do you like, you know, maybe I'm being redundant what I'm saying. I think you're right on, you know, first of all, that whole sense of, uh, you know, I mentioned before wanting an everyday life. I think that's what Defray was about. He wanted the everyday life, feel not like he was in jail, but have an everyday life. Sure. And I think that's that's kind of the body wanting that 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 routine, that homeostasis, and so forth coming back. So I think you're you're, you're right. And there's a lot of you know science behind it. In the end, you know, science helps explain these things. But in the end, your ability to have like you said, you, I'll use some of your terms, have some that organization, structure, routine, give you a sense of power, a sense of self, a sense that you have meaning and purpose, you know, and what in life and what you do um, sure. becomes so very important. And I think that uh, you obviously sensed uh, in a very natural way that you didn't want to escape, but you wanted to develop a new routine where your routines have been disrupted. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in now you're, you know, sheltering at home, you're not able to go and do shoots and do your work, 
You're trying sure. to develop, create again, like I, I I talk about it like a little time bubble, you know, so to speak. And but it is a time bubble, right? <laughs> it is a time bubble. It is, and you know, I in the book I talk in my first <laughs> note. I I kind of learned this when I, I was doing an emergency C-section as an ER doc called up to to do a C-section on a woman that was not was in labor, unable to deliver, and you know that whole process of the being in a womb, you know, kind of was analogy. Because there's a lot that happens. Because I studied quite a bit about what's happening, what's the homeostasis, what's happening as you're growing in this womb, and there's a lot of stability and a lot of a lot of equilibrium and a lot going on there too. And and you know then you're born into this kind of disruptive world with all of these sensations, you know, but you're cared for, right? You're cared for, and you're grown up. And I think, of course, to you, you you understand that that piece very well, but. Um, yeah, so in that way, I made I, I kind of thought of the analogy of a time bubble, and you know, I, I was talking about mentors. I had an insurance inspector that came by, and he's saying, "Oh, I, I saw your I saw the book you're you're writing. It's uh it's really great, boy. I'll tell you that that kind of helped my my life. And of course, as a doc, it's always satisfying when somebody you, you, hey, that's good. I really like what you you know. I get some nice notes, you know." Some yeah. people don't get don't get it because they all want the one two three, and I'm not. My book is not a real one two three book. It's sure, more of sure. an insight into nature that you can kind of follow. Um, but uh, you know, he he said his his life. He got divorced. He lost child custody. He lost his work. This this just kind of a, a continuing domino effect of kind of what happens with trauma and disruption, uh, whether it's a, an accident that occurs, you know, whether it's a being a pilot. I kind of know how I've studied how accidents occur and if one thing leads to another leads to another and it's a little bit that way both of what happens in life that leads 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 you down this kind of track to the point that he lost his work he was completely and he had no sense of organization or structure in his life you know there were and arguably he was either very melancholy or clinically depressed to a certain degree but he was able to get himself up enough to want to get back to exercise because he remembered that exercise had made him feel good. And he went over to the gym one morning and he started on the treadmill and he found this kind of older guy that was incredibly organized and structured and exercising, kind of hooked up and became friends with this person. Sure, became like a coach. Yeah, and he mentored him kind of into, well, look, tomorrow we'll do this, but we'll do that. And hey, if you want afterwards, we'll go out for lunch. You know, you have to get some you have to get some normalcy and rhythm back in your life to the point that he was able to kind of recover from this and you know get a job and deal with the issues related to life and and very thankful and meaningful and feeling really good about where he was at so um these are you know these are examples that where you know routine organization and structure my my point about it is is that that and the stories that I tell are whether it was how, where did you learn that to become such a good business person? Where was routine became important to you? Yeah. Or, yeah. or what did you, when for Charlie Plum, you know, you're, you're being tortured for eight years. How did you survive that? And suddenly, you know, there's sure. a spray of bullets that comes from a, from a, from an airplane that opens up the light in his, in his room where he has no light. And he's suddenly able to follow the day. And able from because he's got a time sense of the day, can actually begin to do things when he exercises, when he eats, yeah, uh, when he eat, and so suddenly life becomes you know meaningful and uh, and uh, so anyway, so I, I think these are you know these are this is just kind of the way we're wired. 
I think that we're being a bit disrupted and interrupted now. You know, I see people like start on, so let's say a form of exercise like yoga. And yeah. they get distracted because then they want to do Pilates because somebody told them to do Pilates. And then sure. they're told, you know, if you do Tai Chi, that's going to be actually something better to do. But, you know, if you do swimming, that's really good because it's good for strength and cardiovascular and really. And no one sticks to much of staying with with a routine, trying to yeah. let it you know, develop. Now, there's nothing wrong with changing routines. If, if, if you don't like it or it's disruptive or can't work in, in your lifestyle, people say, well, you know, routines are boring. I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. That's the art of routine. You decide yourself <laughs> what it is you want to do, but when you do it, right. do it with some rhythm, some regularity, do it yeah. regularly. Your body will like that. You will feel better because of it. And other human beings recognize that in you. It's like a consistency factor. Like this person always shows up at this time and always does this, right? It's just like delivering episodes of podcast every 7 a.m. on Fridays. Uh, moving past murder comes out, right? And so they, they they start to work that into their own personal routine. So there's so much to be said for that because, you know, I think a lot of part of my upbringing too was, you know, because of everything that happened to me, I kind of became a little rebellious in my view of the world. Like, oh, I'll do it my way because, you know, it, this didn't work. So I'll, you know, to hell with that. I'll do it the way I feel like doing it. And I think, you know, that ultimately is very counterproductive, first of all, because you're fighting a system that is not, I think when you start to look at these things in a, in a more macro scale versus your own little microcosm of the world of, this is how we're wired as a species. <laughs> and you need to adapt to that because it's good for you and it's good for everyone around you to behave in this manner because you can't fight it, you're fighting against nature and it's you're not going to win and i think that that's really key so as far i mean you would concur with that right no i i completely agree with that and i think that's sometimes you know the rationale is there but the behavior they're they're very disrupted they can't get in a rhythm you know how to you know sometimes people ask me to be prescriptive and they ask me well how do you how do you what do i do how do i get started i mean well that's what i want to know i want you to be able to like so for that on that note for our listeners who are struggling with this and a lot of there's a lot of people that are in trauma recovery that listen to this program because of my background what what could you tell them that is is going to be most conducive to their path of healing uh using the art of routine so i'll let you i'll let you answer that no, no. So that's good. So I've tried to become a little more prescriptive and have learned from some of the stories here that, that I've told and people I've, you know, work with and also my clinical background. So it's kind of funny because they, I, I didn't want to give a prescription, you know, I said, listen, it's up to you, you know, to understand this. And then I realized that people say, hey, doc, this is great love understanding this but can you just tell me this happened in medicine right i tell someone why they have sure. this problem or this cardiac issue and they go that's great but can you just give me the one two three things i need to do you know so some people don't want to have that that the deep knowledge and sometimes that's not what they need they can't really deal with it even in a traumatic state or situation so they need a prescription sure. and we talked about what we do in in a lot of when there is psychiatric you know disease or stress and try to organize so someone asked me that and I said, well, and I, this was kind of an example of their, their lives being disrupted, can't get any rhythm, eating poorly, do, just cannot do well at work. And I told them to get a dog. Okay. <laughs> because what a, what a, what a, and, and being a, being 
my wife and I being dog owners and owning actually. Dog, uh, dogs are, dogs like routine. They really, they get thrown off. It's amazing. You know, start, you know, so dogs are like, you know, sometimes they say they're like three-year-olds. There's kind of a variation. And we talked about, I think I mentioned, that's one of the things I learned is that, you know, uh, caring for the young has a lot of routine involved with it, right? Absolutely. When they sleep, when they, and with dogs, it's the same. So if you want to start getting in a routine, you know, get a dog and you're going to learn that you need to walk, you need to feed. It begins to feed on your developing your organizational structure around the day. Just like you said, when, it, when my structure was disrupted, that what I do in my routine, it becomes more difficult to travel. And I talk a little bit about, um, you know, the travel time bubble, right? How do you, how, yeah. how can you, how do you maintain a sense of traveling routine, you know? And, and it's funny because people say, well, I travel all the time. I don't need routine, you know? And then I, I said, I was talking to a, a CEO, for example, about travel. And I know this is a little side note to what I was saying. That's no, one of the prescriptions. So one of the prescriptions is a dog, but the other, you know, people would travel and say, well, I traveled when I needed to. I'd have to go to London. I, you know, this was in a big, in a business way, really moving across. I, I don't really believe in routines. And I'd say, well, let me ask you this. When you go to London, do you live at a certain time? He says, oh yeah, we always leave in the morning because, you know, I want to be there in the afternoon and so that I could sleep at the right time. He says, well, do you, do you like a particular seat or do you like a, a specific area? You don't care what seat you get. So, oh, no, no. I like my aisle seat. I said, you go to just any hotel? or anywhere, I says, oh no, I've got my two hotels that I like, depending where my meetings are. And I know exactly the rooms that I want. This is the body wanting to have also, not just routine, but physical environment. You know, the hospitality business, hotels have really learned this. Uh, I In the book, I, I described a study of in the Hilton hotels that try to make them all look the same. This is how they get loyalty. Sure. They want you to have the same feel in the same environment. Yeah. I had a C I had a COO that was working for me, my chief operating officer. I said, Hey, listen, you could stay at nice hotels. Just no, I like this is a nice hotel. I like the courtyard Marriott's. I take the same I said, You have to go to eight cities for us that you have to work at. He says, I, I know each flight that I want for those cities. When I go to the courtyard Marriott, it's always the same. They look the same. I know that I want a courtyard room, not an outside <laughs> room with the freeway. And so what you find is that people really also want to find physical environment. So this just is my point to the theory that even in travel, one begins, especially if you're a tra like I did travel quite a bit on business, you start to learn how important it is to have structure and routines because you're disrupting your circadian rhythms when you're moving, uh, you know, an hour or two or three hour more out of your time zones when you do international travel. Sure. But back to the point, so some things I learned was, yeah, I kind of get this from the dog. That's happened to us. We have show dogs, actually, which I never had till a year or two ago. You know, miniature schnauzers that actually show. And uh, and and so we kind of, you know, you start to learn exactly what's needed in that routine, both for performance and for daily, you know, walking and the sort. So dogs are one thing. Another thing that I've told some people, I say, well, I just don't know what to do in the morning. It just seems I do whatever, depending on what I feel like. I never yeah. do the same thing. I said, well, hey, why don't you do this? Let's use a little of your current tech. Take your cell phone and schedule at seven o'clock. People average time waking up in the United States is like 6.43 or something. You know, it's actually been studied. Uh, and, and, put, and put, and put and, and where meditation can be a little more complicated for people because it requires, um, you know, learning a little bit and practicing something. I said, why don't you just do a daily affirmation? 
So a daily affirmation is a something I remember from Stuart Smalley, kind of an old, uh, an old good, mo- uh, really uh, little funny movie. That's you know, it says you know, he wake up every morning and say, I've got to. I every day, you know, he say he do a daily affirmation. It would be like, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. You know, so one of the simple things to do, and I have that on my phone. It's for mine. It's 7 a.m. and it says daily affirmation. I let that daily affirmation could be uh, something positive, or it could be a moment to to schedule what your day is going to be like. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a a good sure. day. Um, so I like daily affirmations. I even like evening affirmations. You can put it and schedule it. it. Comes up pops on your phone and gives you a moment to think. In fact, I noticed that the new Apple phones have a kind of mindful moment now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. Yeah, the new software popping up. Yeah, popping up. So, so obviously, dogs for the requirement of structure. Of course, that requires a lot of not freedom and responsibility. You know, that's how you get responsibility and accountability with dogs. But affirmations, even in evening affirmations, you know, we're replacing a lot of behavior that happened with religion. You know, there used to be this tradition of night prayers before you went to sleep. You know, so that sure thankful for the day you had and thankful for the night that's going to happen. And so evening, even evening affirmation, you know, becomes a good thing maybe before you go to sleep to gather your thoughts. People, some people do this naturally, by the way. They naturally think are organized to think what their day is going to be like, and they they naturally at the end of the day think of their day and think what tomorrow will be like. So yeah, I like affirmations. I Another do that one, a lot, but yeah. Do you? Okay, yeah. And then and yeah. then and then uh, so those are some prescriptions of things that can help you through, you know, how you gain routine and develop trauma or but get starting to do something regularly of that nature. Another one that uh, is kind of a sense of mindfulness, especially in today, is one of the 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 CEOs and chairman of a fairly large company that I work with, running a pretty big, you know, it's got you got a lot of people in your ear, and it's probably not too different in your life. You've got a lot of people trying to coordinate a lot of text yeah. emails. You're trying to absolutely get a project or, or get through the day. Um, absolutely. And what he would, what he would do is at three thirty, you know, during that time, that circadian rhythm time when you're when you're down uh, with your cortisol and your glucose levels, and Americans are going. To uh, to Starbucks or whatever, you know, to get coffee and get and this is fairly natural. Some people is a little bit more of larks and uh, it, the circadian rhythm is well defined. He would just pretty much close the door and have quiet time. He'd shut off all of the um, um, all of the input and sensations that comes from the computers, the sounds, and the sort, and just take a little bit of time quietly to ponder, maybe even to ponder important decisions that may be coming up, but a time where no one's in the ear, you know, in your or her ear. And, and so um, I think that 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 was a good practice. He'd do that for about a half hour. It's arguably a form of meditation, a way of regenerating your brain versus swimming, running, whatever it might be one does to do that. So I think um, I think that ends up being a good practice. So if I talk about a couple of practices, you know, affirmations, a moment of, you know, scheduled quiet time that happens all the time. Nothing gets in the way, you know. Nothing gets yeah. in the way. It's just like you know, in in people that are religious, nothing gets in the way of of of, of uh, someone in the Muslim religion doing their prayers. 
Absolutely. You know, they're set to the time. They're set to the time of day. So why is that? Why do we do behaviors like that? So, in a modern world, which many of us are much less religious, don't have that. That's why I believe, like for groups, organizations, businesses, for your family, why I believe that、uh, you know routines are important because they they become rituals, and rituals become traditions. Yeah. And it's really important to have ritual traditions. I think we're losing. It's just another topic, you know. Here about stability, certainty. We're losing that sense of ritual. Absolutely, I've I've dis I discuss that a lot with a with a with my psychiatrist or psychologist that I talk to. <laughs> you know, it's like ritual and and all these things and reward.、Um, Doctor Angel Iskovich,、um, thank you so much. I'm sorry, I have to. This has been a great conversation. I'd love to have you back because you're just a wealth of knowledge. There's so much we could sit here and talk about. Um, yeah, and I, I looked at, and I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm glad to talk on. It is kind of an eclectic subject, so it, or it's broad, you know. So yeah, both for individual wellness, or if we want to talk about, you know, health and and what we do in medicine, or we want to talk about how you implement this in, in businesses, which I've done, you know,、uh, why it's important.、Uh, so anyway, I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you, and your insights wanna... are very. Are very good. You know, your insights from your personal experience are good in how they, why you gravitate and have naturally gravitated to this these states. You know. Well, thank you so much. So,、uh, how do we find you? Tell us where we can find the book. The book is the Art of Routine. Where can we find all these materials? Yeah, you know, the Art of Routine is on. It's on Amazon and on any of the booksellers.、Uh, so, just、uh, again, the Art of Routine, it, it'll come up and. Um, I've also got a you know a little web page Angel Iskovich if you can spell it A N G E L I S C O V I C H dot com and I've got a number of the podcasts and things that I've done um, um, that maybe bring a little bit of more depth and insight or interest for other people related to the subject. Well,、uh, my guest today has been Dr. Angel Iskovich.、Uh, it has been a pleasure. He is the、uh, the author of the Art of Routine. And we will put all of his necessary and appropriate links in the show notes for this episode.、Uh, Dr. Iskovich, Angel, thank you so much for being a part of the program. I really appreciate it. I'm ready to come back and we can talk on a more specific subject in the broad. And Collier, you do a great job, and I, I know you're helping people. Thank you so much. So that was a really cool conversation with Dr. Iskovich,、um, Dr. I. You know, we he could just. I, I'm gonna have to have him back on the program because he could just he can just talk and talk about this because he's really passionate about it, and I think that's really cool for working not only in the medical field of psychiatry and psychology, but he's also known for developing businesses and、uh, a business relationship and leaders and and entrepreneurs, and obviously routine applies to that. But it also really does apply to when you're trying to work through trauma and you're trying to take care of your mental health and have some stability because that's the thing: is routine allows you to have a stable ground to to rest your feet on, right? And when you're able to stand on solid ground as a trauma survivor, it's so fucking important. I mean, it really is. It really is key to just moving through that trauma, moving past that trauma, and. Finding your own footing in life, but hey, that's just my opinion, and I'm and I'm a trauma survivor and and true crime survivor here to share my my thoughts with you. But I want to hear from you guys, so please reach out. I am on TikTok now, by the way. Check me out,、um, TikTok.com at Collier Landry. But 
you know, reach out to me. DMs are always great on social media, Instagram, Twitter. You can email me, movingpastmurder at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. And I want to hear your input on these episodes because it helps me create content that I feel best suits you guys, my audience. And that's, uh, at the end of the day, all I really want to do. So on that note, you guys have a great week. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.